verses out of Mark, and, and then we're going to consider what God has. Mark chapter 1, verse 35 through 39. The context is amazing. Jesus has just healed many people. And so you could say it's been a busy time of ministry. And then we pick up verse 35. And in the early morning, while it was still dark, he arose, he being Jesus, and went out and departed to a lonely place and was praying there. And Simon and his companions hunted for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby in order that I may preach there also, for that is what I came out for. And he went into their synagogues throughout all Galilee, preaching and casting out the demons. Let's pray. Lord, we just sang a prayer that you'd have our heart. We pray in these moments our minds would be a habitation of your Holy Spirit. That it would be your thoughts. Lord, that we'd sense your heartbeat in our life. And Lord, it might challenge some things in our life. And Lord, it might call us to let go of some things. It might, it might call us, God, to surrender. Let it be so, if that's the case. Might we give in to what you want. So in all things, you'd be praised. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Who's been watching any Olympics? Any Olympic watchers here? Yeah kind of fun watching Olympics. They're not events we get to see every day. And, and while I don't necessarily get rugby and some of those other ones, um, there's other ones I get. And, and as I was watching some people stand on the um, podium and, and some got the gold and silver and bronze and there were others who didn't make the podium. But there's something all Olympic athletes have in mind or they never would make the Olympics. And that is habits. They develop habits in training. Habits of probably getting up early, habits of eating right, weight training, running, all the different things that make up an accumulation of what brought them there. They didn't get up in the bed one day and say, I'm going to Rio. Oh, no, no, no. And in that case, every Olympian is a success. They worked hard to get there. There were sacrifices involved. And there were habits they developed that led them to a high level of achievement and to success. And as we look at Jesus' life, our leader, or the context of our series as being a follower, our leader had habits. Habits he modeled for us. One of them we just saw. We read also in Matthew 14, 23, that he sent the multitudes away. He went up to a mountain to pray, alone. Luke 4, 42 through 43 in chapter 5, verse 16, tell us the same thing, that Jesus went and got away alone. And here in Mark, we're told he'd often slip away. Often slip away. Not just once, slip away by himself and spend time with the Father. You see, Jesus made deliberate time with the Father. It wasn't just when his schedule allowed. He made deliberate time. The habit in the Savior's life to relate to the Father in a personal, in an intimate manner was showed itself in a habit, a habit of getting away. It was a habit that speaks to the value of his relationship. The follower of Jesus is called to a relationship. And to a follower, this is a needed reminder. 
For some, we began to assume it's about performance, more so than a relationship with God. That maybe somehow it's a business arrangement. If I do what he, if he wants, then maybe he'll do what I want. It's kind of a give and take thing. It begins to slip in our mind. When we forget about the truth, we're called into relationship. Christianity becomes little more than a task maintained by responsibilities and requirements. And it was a habit of our leader, Jesus, to get alone with the Father. You see, these habits of our leader model to us that it's about a relationship with God. And Jesus modeled in the midst of a perfect life the necessity of time with the Father, communion with the Father, prayer. He modeled it. Now think about this for a moment. If you were honest and I was honest, there's times we get up in the morning and think, I am swamped today. I'm so busy. I just don't have time. Now think about that in context of Jesus coming to earth who had the greatest plan ever to redeem mankind. If anyone was too busy, I mean, we would think it would be him. After all, he came to redeem man. And if he took time and modeled time for us to spend time with the Father, certainly it's something we better give serious consideration to, even if it means rearranging our life. And so what does this mean for a follower? It means we're called to a relationship. And it's modeled by Jesus of how to invest in that relationship. Interesting in the text of Matthew 4, we looked at a couple of weeks ago as well, recounts the call of Christ to Andrew, Peter, James, and John. A different word is used in their response to Christ than the word used in their call to Christ. It's interesting. Jesus said, follow me, and the text says they followed him. The word characterized the disciples' response, but it's full of additional meaning. It's a technical word used of individuals in that day who were known by friends and others as followers of a rabbi. And according to linguistic scholars, it reflected two basic nuances. One, a follower is one who had a growing, deepening relationship to the one they were following. But it also had the other nuance, as a true follower was in the process of a radical reformation of becoming like the one they follow because of the influence of the one they follow. And so it was about a relationship and about transformation or reformation. It carried both nuances. And that speaks to you and I. You see, followers don't remain the same once they start following. There should be transformation taking place because we're following one in relationship as one would follow a rabbi in that day. So in the time of the disciples, someone who who called you a follower of Christ would expect to see in your life that it was about a relationship and that there would be reformation or transformation taking place because of that relationship. So if you came along and said, hey, I'm a follower of Messiah. I'm a follower of Christ. They would think two things. Relationship and this follower is becoming like this Christ. Like this Messiah. And that's the call we have. It's a call to a relationship. Because following at the very heart of it all is a relationship with the one who highly values intimacy with us and works to enable and empower it. 
And part of the pursuit of our intimate relationship is clarifying what is true and what's not true as you and I consider about following and with this call to relationship. There's no doubt followers are called to an intimate relationship, but we need to understand what it is. 1 Timothy 4, 7 says, Have nothing to do with godless myths. Rather train yourself to be godly. There are some myths around about what it means to walk in intimacy with Christ. One of the myths is intimacy is primarily about what he will do for us when we get closer. In other words, the process and pursuit of intimacy should never be motivated what God will do for us. In other words, I'm going to spend intimacy with God because I know there's something on the other end of it. That's Intimacy with God is not about that at all. And we tend to measure the quality of our relationship to Him by what He's doing for us at any given moment and by the frequency and intensity of His interventions in our lives. And when this becomes our expectation, we quickly grow disinterested, discouraged, and dysfunctional in our walk with Him because after all, it seems at times maybe He's not giving us anything and so we give up. But that's not intimacy with God. It's not about us getting anything from Him. It's about Him. It's about us getting more of Him. That's what intimacy is. As followers, we won't know the thrill of intimacy until we faithfully pursue Him, not the things from Him. Intimacy also is about an informal buddy-buddy relationship. This is so true. No doubt an important element in our relationship with God is built on the fact that we can call Him Abba Father, which is a personal address. Christ calls us to no longer view ourselves as slaves, but we're told He calls us friends. But this relationship of intimacy is in no way some backslapping chumminess. We can become so careless in our relationship with God. We can approach Him like, hey dude, how's it going? That kind of little uh, momentary acknowledgement. But that's not what a relationship and intimacy with God is. Intimacy is being struck by His grandeur and by His majesty. There's the wonder and awe we approach Him with reverent hearts as we think about the amazing relationship with the living God, not some buddy-buddy out there. Three, the experience of intimacy is the same for all of us. Some people think that. In other words, there's an expectation of a universal standard of intimate relationship with God. And usually falls between this highly charged emotional experience to this deep, quiet, personal encounter. Usually we tend to go one way or the other, and we think that that is universal for everybody. That that's the way intimacy is supposed to be. And if you don't do this, if you don't speak in tongues, or if you don't get excited about this, on one end, then you're not having intimacy with God. And the other side is, stay away from all that. And, and, and if you don't have this type of monkic, mystic type relationship, you don't have intimacy with God. And we think that's true for everybody. It's not. The experience of intimacy is different. But there are some commonalities to it, which we'll talk about. But it's dangerous to pour ourselves into a mold of another's experience. But what we do have in common is not the nature of experience, but the process through which we move toward intimacy. Another myth is we can experience intimacy with some sense of partially surrendered life. We think in terms of, well, God accept me as I am, and he will. But we think that 
aside from that, I can kind of live and go do whatever I want and still have intimacy with God. As if our fellowship can't be broken by sin. The experience of intimacy does not require perfection, but it does require surrender. It does require we, we really legitimately pray what we just sang. Here's my heart, Lord. Not just here's a few leftover moments. Or here's a part of my mind. My other rest of my mind is going to be somewhere else if you don't mind. No, it takes a fully surrendered life. It's hard to believe you could have intimacy in our relationship with God in the full, most rewarding sense if we're living in a continuing offense towards the God we're trying to pursue intimacy with. In my life and others, this seems to be true, doesn't it? That distance, when it's created, only becomes greater. It seems awful hard to find reentry when that distance goes on and on. When intimacy becomes lost, it becomes hard for reentry. We can not have intimacy with a partially surrendered life. But like their myths, there's also truths. One of the truths about intimacy is our primary purpose in life is to embrace the transcendent God by faith and to worship Him. That's our primary purpose. Our primary purpose in life too is, is to embrace the transcendent God by faith and to worship Him. It's true for everybody in this room. That's our primary purpose. We come Sunday morning to collectively do what we should be doing Monday to Saturday, right? Amen? I mean, we come, we should have personal worship where we surrender and acknowledge and embrace this transcendent God by faith with walk with Him and we worship Him our day-to-day living, and we come Sunday collectively celebrating what we've done Monday to Saturday. And sure, we come broken. And sure, we come not doing it well during the week. And we stumbled, but we come. And we come embrace this transcendent God by faith and worship Him. That's true. And every time you and I bow before God, every time we open His Word, that's what we come to do. And embrace Him by faith and to worship Him. A second truth about intimacy with God is it's intimacy, not activity, that brings unshakable confidence in our lives. In Mark chapter 6, verse 30 and 31, we have another glimpse into Jesus' life. By the way, aren't you glad God left these pictures in Scripture? So we could look at life and say, oh, that's how I should do it. That's how I should model my life. I'm so grateful God didn't say follow me and not left us anything else to figure out what that looks like. But he gave us his word and he gave us Mark 6, verse 30 to 31. And the apostles gathered together with Jesus and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. Now at this point, I'm thinking what we're going to read next is he's going to say, then go get them. I mean, go here, go there, because after all, look all the things you've done. Go, go do some more of it. He doesn't. Come away by yourselves to a lonely place and rest a while. And they went away, verse 32, in the boat to a lonely place by themselves. I would venture to say God's saying that very thing to you this morning. Your life's become a spiraling out of control. It's become a list of to-dos. Your schedule's full. And God says, that's enough. You need to come away to a quiet place. You need to rest in me because you've lost perspective. 
And yes, there's a lot of good things to do. Don't miss verse 30. There are a lot of good things the disciples could do. Really good things. Ministry. They could have done ministry. And God says that's good, but it's not what's best. What's best is you rest right now in me. And he's saying the same thing to you and I. And that's a powerful truth of intimacy in our lives. It's the Mary Martha syndrome. Man, Martha's busy. She's cooking. Nothing wrong. And she's cooking chicken. That's really good. But that wasn't best. Mary was at his feet. And he says that's what's best. She chose what was best. Psalm 23. You know why we people love Psalm 23 when I ask them? They said it kind of calms them. There's something calming, restful about the psalm. We're drawn to that. And we should be. Because in Christ there's rest. Rest In psalms it says times of refreshment come from our schedules. No. You know it doesn't say that, does it? Times of refreshment come from the Lord. When we rest in Him and spend time with Him. God calls us from activity to relationship. He calls us from doing to resting. Because only then will our doing be empowered. Only then will our service and our ministry bear fruit when we rest in Him. When we gain the strength and perspective and energy from resting in Him. That's a powerful truth. It's intimacy, not activity, that brings unshakable confidence in our life. Third truth, when God thinks of intimacy, this is a no-brainer, and I'm repeating it, He thinks of a heart relationship. Why do I say that? Because we can be like kids at Christmas. We can bow in prayer, and what do our kids say at Christmas? Give me, give me, give me. Think of your prayer life. I think of mine. We're guilty, aren't we? We bow in prayer and say, God, you know what? I got this going on. This. Could you give me this? Could you give me strength? Could you give me that? Could you give me that? Amen. And we leave deceiving ourselves in two ways. We leave ourselves thinking, I invested in my relationship with God, and I worshipped Him, and we did neither. We did what kids do at Christmas. We came asking for stuff. We didn't come resting in Him. Intimacy is about our relationship. It's not the stuff He does for us that we should be loving. It's Him. I love in Thessalonians, the author of Paul in Thessalonians, this letter to this church, they kind of become concerned a little bit about their loved ones who had died, and they had some questions. What happens to them? Paul, tell us our, our loved ones are died, and we're not quite sure what happens when they die. He launches into this teaching about eschatology and what's going to be happening. And he says, when Jesus returns, what people are going to marvel at is not all the stuff, it's not all the peripheral things. People are going to marvel at one thing, Jesus. That's what they're going to marvel about. They're going to marvel at him. Let's start marveling about him now. As you and I spend time with him, because that's intimacy. He thinks of a heart relationship, we would, do, we would be wise to do the same thing. And so intimacy is primarily a call to relationship, but it's also called to a deepening sense. I want to use the word connectedness. John 15 talks, uses the word abiding. Now I'm technically challenged. Ask Julie, ask my kids. David's here. David probably, David knows a whole lot more about what to do than I ever do. And so I'm technically challenged, and I would probably venture to say some of us are connectedly challenged. We don't really know how to connect with God in deepening ways. 
And here is where this process and pursuit of intimacy becomes similar to us. Because when it comes to intimacy with God, absence does not make the heart grow fonder. Seasons of absence from communing and connecting with God in prayer through His Word make sin and self-sufficiency stronger. And it makes re-entry different, or difficult and challenging. Consider this. If we're distant from Him, if we're living apart from Him, what happens? We develop systems of independence, patterns of thoughts, patterns of behavior, immediately challenged by connecting with God. In other words, when we're not connecting Him with deepening ways, things begin to shift. And pretty soon we're totally out of whack and we've developed systems and patterns that are not spending and investing in our relationship with God. We don't live connected to God because we can become connected to all the wrong stuff. And we feel that all we have is sufficient. Intimacy requires a steady pouring out of our hearts to God in praise and prayer and a steady absorbing of His Word into our hearts. And there are habits that become critical to connectedness. Romans 12, 12 says, Base your happiness on your hope in Christ, and when trials come, endure them patiently, steadfastly maintain the habit of prayer. James 1, 25, The man who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and makes a habit of doing so, is not the man who hears and forgets. He puts that law into practice, and he wins true happiness. Now some of you are thinking, uh uh-oh, here he goes. He's, he's going to talk devotions now. He's going to talk about daily reading, daily prayer. Don't tune me out. I understand your reluctance. And some of you are like, I don't want to be guilted this morning because I don't do devotions well. And I don't do it all the time. And I'm not here to guilt you. Let God's Word instruct you. And I know some of you are like, oh, reading's not my favorite thing to do. Concentrating's hard. I'm too busy. I've heard them all. As a matter of fact, I've used them all. And so rather than spend time with God, we think we're going to let others do it for us, and I'll just kind of glean from them. I'll pick up a devotion, and I'll let that guy tell me what that verse says. Or I'll go on Sunday morning, or I'll go in community groups, or a Bible study, and I'll glean from what others will say. If that's your approach, if spiritual experiences are secondhand, let me challenge you with this thought. Do you do that in other areas of your life? How about vacation? You don't do that with vacations, do you? You don't say, I'm going to take a trip to Cancun. But you know what? I'm kind of busy. I'm going to send someone else on my behalf. Because after all, packing is kind of a hassle. The airport thing? Nah. It's just too frustrating for me. I don't have time. So I'm going to send someone else to Cancun to lay on the beaches and experience the sunsets and all that stuff. They'll fill me in. I'll be spared all the inconvenience. You don't do that. I mean, no one wants that second hand. You want that first hand. You want the sights. You want the rest. You want it first hand. Because the point is there's certain things nobody can do for you. You don't do that with romance, do you? I'm in love with a wonderful person. But romance is such a hassle. I'll get a surrogate lover who will enjoy the romance in my place. No way. There's no way. You want that kiss. You want that hand to hold, right? You want to spend time with that person. 
You want that first-hand date. You don't want any of that second-hand. Why? There's certain things nobody can do for you. You certainly don't do that and let someone eat on your behalf. Chewing is such a bother. My jaws get tired. Sometimes I get stuff stuck in my teeth. I'm going to have someone chew for me. I'll just swallow it. Not only is that disgusting, but there's some things nobody can do for you. Right? But we carry it over sometimes into the spiritual realm and think, I'll let others do that for me. And I'll just kind of glean from them. But God says, no, there's things I want to say to you firsthand. There's, there's times I want to spend with you growing in relationship firsthand. And there's some things you can only do that, can, that no one can do for you. And one of those is connecting with God, spending time with Him. God doesn't want to substitute. He wants time with you. And with some training, cultivating some habits, you and I can learn to connect with God. I want to give you some habits that cultivate connectedness. I'm not an expert on this. I'm like you, day in and day out, saying, God, here's my heart. I want to know you more and more. I want to learn. And there's times I wrestle like you with stuff on my mind, and I look at the watch, and I'm glad I got, by the way, I got rid of my watch. I'm so glad. One of the best things I ever did. And, uh, and we begin to worry about what's coming next instead of the moment. But there's some things, some habits that you and I can cultivate. And I trust these will help. One is a listening heart. God's spoken. You need to believe that. And it's here in His Word. The question isn't, will God speak? The question is, will you listen? That's the, that's the question on the table. A listening heart. Engage in the Word and prayer with an open, yielded spirit. No preconceived agendas to validate our opinions. We've been there. God, I want to do this, and I'm going to find a verse that will validate it. No. With an open, listening heart. Draw near to God, James tells us, and He will draw near to you. How do we draw near to God? With a listening heart. Just come listening. A second habit. A regular time and place. Select a time in your schedule and a place and claim it for God. Find a time, find a place that's right for you. Some, it's in the morning. The psalmist, Psalm 88, says, In the morning my prayer comes before you. For some, it's in the evening. The psalmist says in Psalm 141, Let my praise be an evening sacrifice. For some of you, it's in the middle of the day. The psalmist said for you, Evening, morning, and noon, I cry out to you. Find your time. Find your place. I I think one of the benefits of finding a, a place with God is that that becomes like an altar. It becomes a place where you're like, I can't wait to go in that place because it's, it just seems here I can focus. And you get used to moments with God and communication with God. At, at least me, I'm able to know when I'm in this place at this time, there's nothing else right now. This is just me and God. And it's true God's always with us. And it's true every moment we should be in communion with God. I get that. But there's also something special about that time with God, just like we come corporately I think personally, it helps us focus. But don't kid yourself. God doesn't operate by our microwave devotions. For one to hear God, you need to give it time. And sometimes we hear quickly. And other times we need to persevere. As much time we need to sit for God to say what He wants, 
and you to, and you to hear what he's saying. And sometimes I think it's a process. I think sometimes we, we, we read something, we're like, wow, that's really intriguing. We begin to think out, and next day God seems to build on that. And he brings that to mind as he builds on it. And, and after a while, we think about the last week, and we're like, wow, God put that all together in a process. And, and I, I get it, God. You, you've affirmed that. You've, you've, you've repeated it to me. I'm getting it. I, I, I need that base baseball bat, believe me, on the side of my head. I wish it only took God once. Um, it just seems that I need more than that. But find a regular time and place. A third habit, an open Bible. Reading, meditating, studying, it's critical to connectedness. I like devotions, I, I, devotionals. I think they can help and they can provide variety and, and sometimes I'll supplement a little devotional with what I'm reading and sometimes God connects the two. But don't depend on the devotional. Open your Bible. Leave it lay before you. Get a marker. Some people use paint rollers. Um, use a marker or a pen if you want to make notes and, or a date when God spoke this to you and, and, and whatever it would that would be intimate and personal to you. But open your Bible. Go searching for what God wants to say to you. And read it prayerfully. God, what do you, what do you want to say to me? I want to hear it. Some helpful approaches because I've, over the years I've talked with people. They say, I open the Bible, man, and I'm not, A, not sure where to go. B, I read it and there's nothing. I don't get it. What, what do I do? Well, there's some things I think that might help. One, read God's Word as a personal encounter with God. It can't be just an exercise in reading. You need to consider it as a personal encounter with God because after all, God has taken the time to speak. His words are life. They're spiritual food, and we need to approach them that way. When we forget we need Christ, when we forget we need His Word, Christianity becomes, again, a little, little more than a task maintained. God's Word comes as a personal encounter. And connecting with God is just that, connecting. Look for truth that speaks to your life, that speaks to your relationship with God. Read until you've heard in some substantive way. Remember, God's about a heart relationship, not just an academic endeavor. Read God's Word as a personal encounter with Him. Secondly, I find it helpful to read God's Word in terms of its intended purpose. What do I mean? You see, it aligns me with God's work in my life. We're told that God's Word is a mirror. In other words, when we read God's Word, we see ourselves as we really are in light of the text. God's Word is told as a seed. When we permit the Word and implants deep in our heart, and envisioning the fruit that comes from this nurturing, and envision God's Word that way, the seeds are getting planted in your life. Envision God's Word as a sword, because it cuts through all the externals, reveals the deepest secrets and motives. You see, God's Word does surgery, and sometimes them cuts and then mice hurt, don't they? When he, gets, when he hits the nail on the head, which he does, it hurts. But envision God's word. It's a sword. We're also told it's a lamp. Envision God's word in that way. It gives direction. It gives guidance in a dark world. I find it incredibly interesting whenever someone talks to graduates, especially like in a church service, they often talk about this. Hey, God's word is a light and, and guidance and trust in it and follow it. And it's like, but what about the rest of their life? I mean, and how come when we're in our 60s or 70s, we don't talk like that to each other? 
God's word is always a lamp. God's word, we're told, is bread. It's food for our soul. And when we're touched by truth, it nourishes us. You see, feeding takes place when you open God's word. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You feed spiritually nourishing when you open God's word. Vary your approach to scripture, I think, is another helpful encouragement for you. Sometimes the location of where you're reading, the amount, choose depth. Some people choose depth over quality. I choose quality over, over this sense. When I say depth, I mean the amount. Sometimes I'll just read a paragraph because that's all I can handle for that day. Or there's something that jumps me in the first verse and I'm pretty much done with. For the, that verse is going to take up my whole time as I chew on and interact and pray it. Stop and meditate. I know some people have a good discipline. I don't do it as much as I should. But write on an index card through the day. You get up and God spoke to you about your tongue or something like that. Write it down. Put it in your pocket later in the day at lunch. Read it. Put it in your car and you hit, if you work in the cities, the many stoplights and traffic jams, pull it out. Read it. And you read, by that way, you refresh what God had said to you in the morning. Vary your approach. Old Testament, New Testament. Sometimes I find it helpful to read a chapter, the same chapter, every day for a week. It just helps me get a better handle on it. Vary your approach. And a fourth thing, keep at it. Stay at it. Don't allow excuses. Stay at it. Your connectedness and intimacy with God will deepen. It's like a daily vitamin. You don't necessarily see the results. You don't take the daily vitamin and say, man, I'm feeling it now, man. No. But over time, it begins to help. You become healthier. And it's time with God's word. There's time we get up and say, God, I think I heard what you said. And, and, but over time, we begin to grow and deepen in our relationship with God, although we might not notice it right away. What's a fourth habit? Respond in prayer. A responsive, prayerful posture. Pray honestly is of the utmost importance. Psalm 13 and Psalm 73 to begin with are psalms that bring perspective to the honest. They're honest prayers. They're prayers we might shirk about praying. But pray honestly. Include elements of worship. Sing. I know you might, if you can't sing like me, it's the time to sing when no one else is around, when just God hears it. Sing. Pray psalms. I find it helpful to pray out loud because it keeps my mind from wandering. If you're like me, that can happen. Learn to pray out loud. It helps. You'll see a wandering mind. Journalize. Bill Hybels, I was reading, he writes out his prayers, this sense of journalizing. I'm big on it. I've mentioned that before. It helps us see what we're looking at. And when I write something down, it kind of reinforces, and everybody tells you this because it's true, it reinforces what you just read. And so learn to journalize or write things down, or as I said, use your index cards. Reflections might turn to questions. Often they do. And often the answer comes over a period of time, or maybe even when you look back. At a certain time, you're like, man, alive. I needed that. I didn't know at that moment that's what God was saying or for when, but now I know. And so respond in prayer. Have a responsive, prayerful posture. As a follower of Christ, success doesn't come instantly. Habits are necessary. There's times you remember as a parent growing up, their times are precious. They're etched in your memory forever. One such time is when my kids sit on my lap when they were younger. Especially Angela seemed to do it more than anybody. She'd come on my lap and 
and she'd put her head against my chest and just stay there like she was glued. And I never knew what that little mind was thinking about. I didn't know quite what she was doing. But then I noticed the longer she stayed there and I'd breathe, she'd start, you know what kids, they start to breathe like in, in harmony with your breaths. And, and then she would start to move a little bit with it. And she would just kind of keep rhythm with me after a while. And she'd listen and try to be in sync with me. I'm convinced when you and I develop habits that draw us into deeper intimacy, I think it's like that. I think in a sense we're on the lap of our Heavenly Father with our ear to His heart. And we begin to breathe and we stay in sync with Him. And habits as followers develop that. And they're necessary to become a follower intimately connected to the one we're following. Are you pursuing intimacy with God? Because that's the essence of what it means to be a follower. Let's pray. Lord, it's been my concern this week that whenever you give points or advice or things like that towards intimacy with God, that it can become robotic and protect us from that. But I pray, Lord, that maybe something each person here this morning would be useful. We know all scriptures, God breathed and it's profitable. And might each of my brothers and sisters find it profitable this morning. As we look at your perfect picture and model of what it means to have a life rooted in intimacy with you. Might we pursue that? Might that be a deepening conviction to live a life of connectedness with you? What an incredible, incredible privilege that you, the living, transcendent God, would call us close. Might you find us on your lap with our head on your heart, staying in sync with you. For we know this would bring you pleasure, would bring you glory, and bring us great delight. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, brother, for sharing God's word with us. You know, one of the benefits of being an elder, when you have prayer duty for the month, you have to be here for both services. So you get to listen to the sermon again, the second service. And I'm glad today because there was a lot, there was a lot packed in there. And certainly a lot to think about um, what God has called us to. And I don't, I don't know about the rest of you, but I was certainly convicted of some of the habits that I've allowed to, to take me away from the Lord. Um, certainly our busyness, but we're in control of that, and, and we can certainly rise above it, and we can become an overcomer of those, those bad habits. I was reminded as we were singing today, too, some of the songs on, about our heart. Proverbs 4.23 says to guard your heart. 
Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. So as, as we prepare to just pray and pray for this congregation, the body at Elam, one of the things that we're reminded of, too, is our core, one of our core values, one of our leading core values, is that we are a people of prayer, both individually and corporately. And so it's our hope as, as elders, as leaders, as brothers and sisters to, to all of you believers that um, that's your heartbeat and it's your desire. So as I lead you in prayer today, and we just let's just uh, seek God's face, seek his direction, and uh, allow his, his thoughts to penetrate our hearts. Oh God, we thank you for your word. As we've listened to a pastor share what, what God you've laid on his heart in this past week is your message. God, we know that you want to speak to each of us. We know, God, that you want a receptive heart. And God, all too often, I think we fall into that absence, thinking that it makes the heart grow fonder. And that's a lie from Satan. And we know it's not certainly not true with you. Father, it's our desire to guard our hearts, to allow you to own it all. Father, as we come before you today in prayer, we just, just desire, God, in these next moments that you quiet us. Show us our sin, Lord, and if there's sin that needs to be confessed, God, that you would remind us of that, that you would bring it to light. God, we praise you for the freedom we have to worship you We hold our brothers and sisters who suffer persecution around the world for those moms and children left behind due to their husbands being killed as they've stood firm for you. We just, we can't comprehend that. We hold them up to you today and ask God that you would just sustain, sustain them spiritually and physically, that they would continue to remain faithful to you. God, as we think of those around us, those in our body, those in our families, our friends, Lord, who are struggling, who are suffering, who need, are in need of healing, we just bring them to you today. God, we pray 
specifically today for our pastor, Lord, that you would continue to strengthen him, Lord. That you would continue to bring healing to his body. God, we praise you too for those who will protect us, those who are serving overseas, both our military men and women, those on the front lines of ministry and the mission fields. God, we thank you for the privilege of supporting them, praying for them. God, we pray a blessing on Virgil and Kathy today, specifically as we look at them and focus on their activity. Thank you for the diligence that they've continued to have in serving you. And We pray for Virgil as he's been having these medical tests of this overactive thyroid. God, that you would just allow medication to bring that under control. We continue, Lord, to look forward to hearing about how the Lord is at work multiplying your church around the world. Oh God, as we meditate on your word today, we take it with us as we leave here, the thoughts, the, the conviction, Lord, that we felt in our hearts today by the message. I pray, God, that you would strengthen us And God, we'll do what we can to guard our hearts, to fill it with all the right things. But God, you are the master of my heart. And I'm trusting you with it. And I just commit it into your hands today. I pray that for this body, that you would shape it, that you would fill it. You would cleanse it. Oh, God, that you would meet me there each day. Let it be a place, Lord, where your presence always reigns. Thank you, Father, for what you're going to do for this body, what you've done, what you... We just look to you and we trust in you in faith, Lord. And God, as we prepare to give back to you, we know that you see our heart again in the way we give to you. Lord, we, we know that you own it all. Help us to loosen our grip, Lord, on the things that we hang on to so tightly. May we open our hands to you. May you take these gifts today. May you multiply them. And may light come where there's darkness today because of our willingness to give. And it's in your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Have the ushers come forward.
So the word of the Lord uh, in Psalm 86 says, There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. For all the nations you have made will come and worship before you, O Lord, and glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. So we have an opportunity uh, this morning. Um, I just want to share a couple of things from our Pine Ridge trip as we went out to South Dakota. A number of you are aware. A number of you were praying for us. And a number of you supported us with, with, in different ways. And uh, so during the hospitality time, our team, as many as are available, will be upstairs probably around 10 o'clock. Uh, and we'll, we'll just...